Welcome to The Way Church. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For sermon notes, service times, and more information, check us out online at thewaychurchva.com. Now let's join Pastor Matt Rothy with this week's message. For our first week, our focus in our series, Define Christian, uh, we're focusing on the fact that God's people are prayers. The Christian prays God's promises. And as we focus on that, we focus on a beautiful prayer from Ephesians chapter 3. This will serve as the basis for our sermon lesson this morning. The Apostle Paul, writing to the Christians throughout Ephesus, said this. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long, and high, and deep is the love of Christ. And to know that this love surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I'll keep you in my prayers. I'll pray for you. Have you ever said that to anybody before? Of course you have. Because God's people, Christian people, they pray. So it is that when your neighbor tells you about how their parents, their mother, their health is declining, maybe they have an upcoming surgery and, and they just need someone to listen in, listen in, you look at them with sincerity and genuineness of heart. You said, thank you for telling me that. I'll pray for you. Your sister calls you up. She's pretty excited because the job she applied for and had one interview with, well, now she has a second interview and it looks like she's going to get this job, but she's really excited, but she's also kind of nervous. And so you, so you tell her, thank you for telling me this. I will keep you in my prayers. Your best friend texts you randomly and texts you in a way to maybe rant or vent a little bit about how ridiculous that bad days can go sometimes. You know, they tell you about the lost keys, about how crazy the kids are, and in only a way that a best friend can, you just listen over text, of course, and you follow up and you said, thank you for telling me this. I'll keep you in my prayers. Have you ever said that before? Of course you have, because Christians pray. Christian people pray, but what do you pray? When you say that to people, and and you say it, we say it all the time, throughout all the vocations and and different relationships that we have in our life, we tell people that we're going to pray for them, but what do we say? 
Of course, some of you are looking at me, I'm like, well, sometimes I say that, but I forget. And just so you know, you're not alone. But this isn't a sermon to maybe convict us for the times where we don't pray. This is a sermon to equip us. Equip us for what exactly we should pray for as we get to pray for Christians, for people throughout our lives. In this sermon, penned by the Apostle Paul, written for Christians in Ephesus and also for us, we see a profound and moving prayer where Paul tells us the purpose for what he prays for. He also tells us where these prayers are are asked to take effect, the place of prayer, and also how it is that these prayers actually come about, how they are effective. So you could say the power of prayer. So we're going to look at those three things. We're going to look at the purpose of this prayer, the place of this prayer, and also the power source of this prayer, okay? Paul begins his prayer in this way. He said, I pray that out of God's glorious riches, he may strengthen you with his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, we're praying this prayer for other people, but also for one another, for Christians. God's people, Christian people are prayers. So why would we pray for something that we already have? Do you hear what Paul said? He's praying so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. If you're a Christian and you have faith, that necessarily means that, well, Christ dwells in your heart, right? So why would Paul pray for something we already have? Well, allow a story to perhaps illustrate what Paul's prayer is getting at. There was a very old woman who lived in a very old house just outside of Richmond. And her house was, in fact, so old that when you walked by the walls, you could see light coming through the cracks in the walls. And because she lived in the South, the house got dangerously hot during the summertime. And yet, because we also are not that far South, things get pretty cold in the wintertime, and it would get dreadfully cold. And so it was that this very old woman who lived in a very old house would very often get very, very sick because of the extreme temperatures in her home. At first, her friends and the people in her neighborhood, they thought, surely she just doesn't have the resources to to fix her home. But then someone got curious and asked her. And came to find out that she was, in fact, Wealthy, at least wealthy enough to fix her home or move and buy a new home. And yet, for various reasons, she was afraid to touch her wealth. She was afraid that if she if she used her resources, that she would use it all up and it and it suddenly wouldn't be there. She had the wealth, but she lived poorly. And that is a way of getting at what Paul is saying in this prayer. In a way, this prayer is is 
so rich. And yet it's also indicting. It's somewhat convicting. Why is that? Well, because very often God's people who have the riches, we live poorly. Look back at just verse 16, which we read before. Here, the Apostle Paul prays that out of God's glorious riches, he may strengthen you with his power through his spirit. You have the glorious riches of God through Christ Jesus. We just sang about that in verse one. How rich is my condition? God and heaven, they're mine. Think about that. You are rich because your father in heaven has given you everything in Christ Jesus. We have the wealth and yet we live poorly. What does that look like very practically? Well, well, think about this. Think about who we have here. We have, as our father, the father from whom everyone on earth derives its name. We are God's children. God cares for you. He has given his riches to you. He has made certain and sure promises to you that I'll never leave you, that I will work out all things for your good. So why do we worry? Why are our days filled with stress and anxiety? We have the wealth, but we live poorly. Jesus promises us. He says, cast all your cares on me because I care for you. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, I'll give you rest. But we don't. When, when we have cares or worries, we self-medicate. We have the wealth, but we live poorly. There's actually a, a hymn verse that, that beautifully illustrates this point. I bet you can finish it. Oh, the peace we often forfeit. Oh, the needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. We have the wealth, but we, we live poorly. We have knowledge, if you will, of the principle of Christ in us, but practically in our day-to-day -day theology, maybe for various reasons, because we're afraid or we just forget, we do not apply the riches of God's glorious giving we just don't apply it to our sanctified Christian lives. So what do we do? Well, with Paul, we pray. This is the reason, the purpose for which we pray. What we're praying is that we would go from, from being people who know about God's glorious riches and his love and his gifts that God has given us in Christ to people that just don't know about it, but are about it. That we are about it in every aspect of our lives. This is the purpose for which Paul prays, for which we pray for one another, for others, that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. You, as Christians, is Christ dwelling in your heart through faith? Most certainly. That is what the definition of being a Christian is. And yet we pray that God would fulfill his promises all the more to give us himself and to give us himself 
through faith, through hearing his word, so that Christ may more richly, more powerfully dwell in us. That is the purpose for which we pray. But here's the place for which we pray. Paul's prayer, verse 16 and 17. He says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. What we are praying for in this prayer, what we are praying for throughout our Christian lives are dangerous prayers. For what we're praying for in this prayer is nothing less than a complete and a full heart transplant. That that God would take your heart out and put Christ's heart in. Did you notice where Paul is praying that this prayer takes effect? The place? It's in your inner being. What is your inner being? What's our heart? It's the identity of of who we are in Christ. It is the entirety of our intellect, our emotions, and our will. What are we praying for in here? Well, this is nothing less than a life or death kind of prayer and a a Galatians 2 verse 20 kind of prayer that, that you, that Matt, no longer lives, but Christ lives in me. This is what we're praying for, that Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith his power, his spirit in our innermost being. Let me try to illustrate what what this prayer is driving at for you. Imagine this. Imagine that you're someone who is dedicating their entire life to being an excellent pianist. You practice piano all the time. It is who you are. All right, so this is something you do for your friends. This is something you do for your family because of course you have this skill. And when you play at gatherings of your friends and family, when you play here at church, your loved ones, they tell you, you're great. You are great at playing the piano. And of course it means something to you, right? It means something to you in your innermost being, your identity that that your mom says you're great, that your friends think you're great. That would mean a whole lot, wouldn't it? Now imagine this, if because you are dedicating your life to being a pianist, that you have a concert on a certain occasion, and you play at this concert, and just like all the other concerts before, afterwards, your your mom and your dad tell you how wonderful you are, how great you are, your friends tell you how great you are, but you don't know that at this specific concert is Martha Agarith. And you don't know who that is, probably, but in this alternate reality you do because Martha Agarith is known as one of the greatest piano players of all time and currently the greatest living pianist. Now imagine this, that she's at your concert and she comes up to you in the lobby and she says to you, my friend, you are a great pianist. You might just be the greatest pianist. Now, no offense to your mom or your dad or your best friend who thinks you're great, but at that moment, what would that mean to you? What would that mean in your innermost being to your identity? It would mean the world. It would completely fill you up. It would completely empower you and 
and strengthen you on your pursuit to be the greatest concert pianist. That the greatest of all times thinks that you're great. That's what Paul is driving at in this prayer. That in your innermost being, in the center of your heart, that it would be changed and shaped by someone greater than Martha Agareth telling you that you're great. For you have that pronouncement from the Father. From the Father from whom everyone on earth derives its name. He says, more than you're just great. He says, you're loved by me. You're forgiven completely by me. You, through the waters of your baptism, are my child. All that I have in Christ is yours. And you've heard that before. You've heard that before. Christians, you've, you've heard that gospel proclaimed to you before. But here's what we pray. That the place where that gospel pronouncement takes effect is to your inner heart, your inner being, that Christ become the controlling reality of your entire life. What are we praying for in this prayer? Well, we're praying that the place where, where this takes effect is in your heart. That the promise that Christ made, your resurrected and ascended Lord, he would live and reign in your heart just as he would promise. And he would do so through his spirit in your innermost being. So we know the purpose for our prayer. We know the place that we're praying for this. You might sound, say this sounds all fine and well, but how do we get that to happen? Well, the third thing we're looking at is the power or the source of this prayer to take effect. Paul said this in the second half, a second part of this prayer. He said, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God is the word of God. Two months ago, uh, my family and I got the opportunity to go see all of our mutual friend, Brittany Durst, play the violin in her country band. Fun fact, she doesn't just play wonderfully here, but also in a band. And it was at a winery just out in King George. And as I went up to pay the server for the bottle of wine that my family got, which by the way was called Solus Christus Chardonnay, paid for the bottle of wine, the server there told me that on the vineyard's property, there was a tree that was hundreds and hundreds of year old. So my family and I went to go look for this. Now I'm asking you to stick with me because I, I really am going somewhere with this story. But we walked out back behind the winery and there this tree was. It was a massive oak tree. It was an oak tree whose branches spread all across the backyard, giving shade completely to the entire backyard. And the branches of this oak tree, they were huge. They just hung horizontally, majestically, all across the backyard. The trunk of this tree, it wasn't just like one tree, but it was like three bases of a tree twisted together. And the roots of this tree, well, you had to walk 
watch where you were walking because you'd trip over them. These weren't just like little dainty roots coming out along the ground. No, 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 no. To support a tree of this magnitude, the roots of this tree were as thick as a typical tree trunk driving into the ground. I thought of this tree as I thought of this prayer. What we're asking for in this prayer are bold and audacious things that Christ would would look at the promises that he has made to us and that in the innermost places of our hearts and our lives, they would take effect. Where does the power of, of, of such a prayer come from? Where does the power to affect such things come from? It's nowhere else than the immeasurable and matchless love of Christ. Listen to these formidable words. What are we praying for? Well, that you would be rooted and established in love. This is our prayer. Not that just you would kind of know about the things that God has given you in Christ Jesus, but that all of his promises that are yes in Christ Jesus, your minds, your hearts would be rooted and established deeply in his love. And what's more, we pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people. Think about this. You have unity or fellowship with the Father. That that you have this oneness with God in Christ Jesus. Because he has reconciled himself to you through the gift of his son, you enjoy a tight-knit, inseparable relationship with your heavenly father. And that fellowship you also have with one another, with your brothers and sisters in Christ, those who share the same faith in the father with you. You have now a power together. What is this translate to? How does this look practically? Well, think back to that powerful oak tree. Three branches, or rather trunks of the tree, twisted together to really form one. There's a reason why this tree has stood for hundreds and hundreds of years. Why is it that you, Christian, can stand and withstand the tornadoes of Satan the chaos and the hurricane of this sinful world, even the wildfires of your sinful self? It's because you are rooted and established in the love of Christ. And together with God's holy people and with God himself, you are rooted and established and you have power from the Father, from his love that you are rooted in. Are you beginning to grasp How wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ? Think about that word grasp. It's a powerful word. Originally in the Greek language, it's it's a word that means to to overtake and seize a city, to, to take a city. That's what we're praying for here. That you, in your hearts, in your innermost being, would grasp how wide and long and high is the love that God has for you. How can you do such a thing? It is a savior who comes and grabs hold of you and me again and again. What we're seeing throughout this Christian series, Define Christian, 
is all the ways that we really, really don't act like a Christian. Today, just think about prayer and the fact that God's people pray God's promises. So often we just don't pray. So often when we do pray, we don't pray according to God's will and his word. And yet time and time again, what happens? We are able to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ because our savior comes after us again and again and wraps his arms around us. So he takes hold of us, seizes us and never lets us go. What are we praying for here? That you would know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. We're praying that you would have this power, that you would have this take place in your inner being. And are we praying for the impossible? Are we, are we purposely praying a paradoxical prayer that you would, ah, come on, know the unknowable, be filled to the fullness? No. But rather, this is the prayer. This, this is the power source of how this prayer can take effect is that as we order our lives around God and his word and his love, just as there is no end to all of the ways that Christ shows his love to us, we know no end for exploring how great the Father's love is to us. That is our prayer. You think back to that oak tree. It didn't grow up overnight. How did it get to be this magnificent and captivating tree? It was time, but not just time. It was time with the roots in the right stuff. That is our prayer. That is the power of this prayer, that over time in our lives as as Christians, we drive our our roots deeper and deeper into God through his word, through his sacrament, And then again, are are changed in our inner being and grasp that which we can never fully know, but we know it again and again as though we, we knew it, but we know it anew every time. That's our prayer. Now, I could say amen. I could say amen because I covered all the Ps, and yet there's two reasons I can't say amen just yet. Number one, Paul's not done with his prayer. And number two, we should probably talk about the people that this is prayed for. Paul finishes his prayer in this way. He says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory. In the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever, amen. You think about that. Paul invites us and we with him pray for these bold and audacious things that Christ would live and reign and rule in our hearts, that the power of his love would be something that that we sink our roots into. And then after praying for these great and grandiose things, what does Paul do? He says, well, now to him who can do even more, we commend this prayer. And then Paul wraps up with a prayer of praise. To God be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. Generations. 
throughout all generations. We began this sermon by talking about the fact that we pray. We pray for people in our lives, right? You pray for me. I pray for you. You pray for your family members. But that's not the whole story, is it? We're here because this prayer, Christians, the Christians from generations and generations have prayed God's promises for you. Maybe you noticed, maybe you didn't, but last week I was not here. Um, I was gone because I had the wonderful opportunity to celebrate uh, not one, but two family weddings. Last Saturday, my brother got married. Last Wednesday, my sister got married. And my sister's wedding, the last wedding of the two in this wild wedding week, was interestingly at a very special place for our family. It was in Caledonia, Wisconsin, which is the home or the birthplace of my family here in America. Before the wedding rehearsal, my dad took me out just, just a mile from where the church was to see the plot of land that was the original Rothley family farm. And then there at the church, there was a church graveyard in the back, and Carl and Katerina Rothy were buried there, my great, 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 great grandma and grandpa. And then I got to preach a wedding sermon for the very last time to one of my siblings, because they're all married now. And as the officiant, I have the privilege of looking a bride and a groom in the eye, but also all their friends and their family as well. And it was a very special week to get to do that. And then I was driving home 15 hours from Wisconsin to Virginia the other day, and I got to think about how wonderful and special that was. And how wonderful and special it is that I'm very excited to be back here home and get to worship with all of God's people here, my friends and family, my brothers and sisters in Christ. And I was thinking about that wedding and thinking about this prayer and thinking about the people that this prayer is prayed for. That the remarkable blessing that I have in my family, my immediate family with my brothers and sisters, is that they are all married to Christian people. But then it struck me that that's been true for generation of generation of generation of generation. The God's people, Christians, married other Christians. And just like you and me, they prayed. They prayed for people. What did they pray specifically? I don't know. But when God's people, Christian people, pray the promises of God with this purpose, that it takes place in our hearts and has this powerful effect, the result are more Christians, more Christian people knowing how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And actually, I could go through the photos, our family photos that we took and tell you about how they're not perfect people, <laughs> the people in my family, but they are people who know the power of Christ in them. And that is my prayer for you and for me and for our family of believers 
that together we would know how wide and long and high and deep, that together we would grasp this love, a love that surpasses knowledge, so that we might be filled to the fullness of God. That is the people we pray for. And we can't forget that P. Now, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all, we, than all we pray or ask for or even imagine, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations and generations and generations and generations forever and ever. Amen. 